Our sermon for the week of December 3rd, 2023, the first Sunday in Advent, is taken from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And the sermon theme is, New Church Year, Same King, from Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and he will send it back here without delay. They left and found a colt on the street, tied at a door, and they untied it. Some who were standing there asked them, What are you doing untying that colt? The disciples answered them, just as Jesus had instructed them, and the man let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments on it, and Jesus sat on it. Many people spread their garments on the road. Others spread branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! The word of the Lord. Today marks the beginning of a new church year. And that means that we've entered into the Advent season, the preparation for Christ's coming. Our churches get busy around the Christmas season. We put up special decorations all over church. We put up flowers that we, that we don't normally have. And we engage in more projects to serve our members and to serve our community. Each year, we begin anew and get ready for that special day. But some things just don't change. And one of those unchanging things is our King, Jesus. But has our worship gotten stale? And if so, is it because Jesus has gotten old and outdated? If you've ever felt that way, let's go to God's Word to explore more about who our King is. St. Mark captures the same scene that the other three gospel writers do, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Mark gives us some indication of how our king comes. He comes humbly. We know it as we think about the Christmas account. Jesus is born far away from home in a little hick town in the feeding trough of a first century barn. He's born to parents who certainly caught some side-eye from anyone who heard that they had not broken the sixth commandment with each other, but that the child that she had conceived was from God. And even his first visitors scream humble. It's lowly, poor, and unbathed shepherds who are the first ones to come and see the newborn Savior. Some of you may claim humble births, but none of you were born in a shack surrounded by homeless men and smelly animals. But this humility doesn't change, even at the end of his life. Here he is, five days before his death on the cross, and he's riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And at that time, donkeys were viewed pretty similarly to how they are today. They're the poor man's horse. A true king should have been riding in on a glistening stallion. And unbeknownst to anyone but Jesus, this march into Jerusalem, it's a death march. He's riding to his crucifixion, and he knows it, but he goes anyway. This is lowly. 
This is not how you'd expect the king of creation to enter into the town God had made the capital of his people for generations past. But how humbly does he really come? We spend all this time talking about what the scene looks like on Palm Sunday or what the scene looks like on Christmas, but do we spend as much time grappling with what's happening here? Hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Zechariah had this to write, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and is riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This donkey rider isn't simply a wise teacher or some political agitator. He's the king long foretold. And look at how the people will welcome him. These are some of the same things that people would do for the king when he comes, when he returns home from war, laying their coats in his paths and singing his praises with their shouts. Look at the outside packaging and you'll see humility and you'll see weakness. But dig deeper and you'll find the king who comes in power. We know what his coming at Christmas means. It's God taking the central role in human history to alter our trajectory from hell to heaven. It's the Savior becoming man to set us free. And we know what his entrance into Jerusalem means too. It means he's ready to fight the final battle against our greatest foe. It means he knows what will look like a loss is actually going to be the greatest victory in all of human history. Throughout his ministry, he's determined to save. He's always venturing toward Jerusalem. And here he is, finishing the work forever. Our king, he's not old. He's not outdated. In fact, the work he comes to do to rescue the world from sin and offer free and lasting forgiveness, this is just as important now as it's ever been. But if the problem isn't the king who comes, then we have to start looking at our praise for the king. And what better way to evaluate our praise than to look at the praise of those who celebrated Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem? Some of the people put their coats in the road to give Jesus a clean path up to Jerusalem. And Mark tells us that there were still others who cut down palm branches and spread them on the road. This is respect. This is adoration. But what they have to say tells us even more. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna, it means help us, we pray, or save us, we pray. They know that Jesus can help them. This is the cry of prisoners for release. But they don't know exactly who they're welcoming. The people of the Old Testament knew about the coming Messiah, but what would Messiah look like? Some thought he was coming to depose the Romans and establish a new earthly Israel. Others knew he was coming to do something special, something spiritual, but they didn't know exactly what he was there to do. They didn't know 
what he would do, but they knew he was from God. And their praises were beautiful because they knew that he was the Lord, that he was the Savior, that he was Messiah. But they didn't know what he was Lord of. How do our praises look? Unlike them, we know exactly who it is that we welcome. This is Jesus. This is the one we worship endlessly. He's our Savior. We know better than them. Yet, don't our praises become so much more lackluster than theirs? Maybe our praise loses some juice as our king doesn't line up with our expectations. The question that plagued the citizens of Jerusalem welcoming Jesus is the same question that plagues us too. What is Messiah? Some expect him to be a philosopher, to lay out the optimal life. Do we sometimes fall into that habit of thinking that if we follow Jesus, then our lives are going to be free from hardship? Others expect Jesus to be a made-to-order Savior. They expect him to fix whatever problems they're going through in their lives right now, whatever they deem most important. If they have stress, they expect Jesus to give them complete escape. If they have some damaged relationship, they expect Jesus to change the other person so that their relationship can be right again. We too can lose our zeal for Jesus when we make him into a genie that needs to grant all of our certainly not selfish and, and always well thought out wishes. Or maybe our praise loses some of its luster because we're in the season of distractions. We all know that Christmas has a lot of pomp around it. You spend time decorating your houses. You've got the radio playing all your favorite Christmas hits. And people are rushing all over the place, fighting each other in stores to make sure that this Christmas is special. But what is it that makes Christmas special? You know it's not the presents under the tree, wrapped in their beautiful bows. And you know it's not even the family members that come to your house to celebrate, wrapped in ornate Christmas sweaters. What makes Christmas special? It's the king who comes for you. But as we talked about before, this king doesn't come wrapped the way that we expect. In fact, we see that God wraps his greatest gifts in the most unappealing packages. We do see weakness in the Savior's birth. It doesn't come with all the pageantry we would expect. And we see weakness in a lot of other gifts that God gives us as well. We see weakness in the means of grace, God's gospel in word and sacrament. You look at baptism or the Lord's Supper, and maybe you expect something more than just water, bread, wine, and some words. You look at our worship, and it might not always be as flashy or tugging at your heartstrings as you'd want it to be. You look at the Bible stories that come up again and again and again, and maybe you'd prefer something different. Maybe you'd prefer to hear a story about a rancher in Wyoming or a big buck hunter up in Canada. Sometimes it feels like the way God brings his message of grace to us could just be spruced up a bit, made a little bit more attention-grabbing. Why don't we do a light show in front of church? with lasers and fog and the pastor rising up on a platform from, from the floor, that would grab some eyeballs, wouldn't it? But that's not how God shows his glory. 
no, God shows his glory in these everyday things. You know it's not just some words and water that happen at, at the baptismal font. It's a bath which washes the soul. You know it's not just bread and wine that you receive in the Lord's Supper. It is, as Jesus himself says, his very own body and blood given to you so that you can be certain that you are forgiven of all the shame you carry around with you. And it's not just a, a boring old worship service. God invites us here to worship him with hearts filled with sorrow over sin and gratitude for the Savior, worshiping by repeating God's word and promises back to him again and again in prayer and song. And it's not just the same Bible stories over and over again for no reason. These readings from God's word continually reinforce the truths that we so quickly forget in our everyday lives. God does not need the flashy things because he has substance. I remember one of our wonderful professors in college who had a, a very monotonous voice. He was a genius, but the Lord had not blessed him with charisma. And so he'd preach for chapel a few times every year. And when he preached, some of the students would walk away saying they had the hardest time listening to him, the hardest time staying focused. But for those who did listen, they probably heard one of the most profound chapel devotions they would hear all year. If they listened, they saw God's strength through the weakness of a human voice. Do you want something with substance this Christmas season? Then I challenge you to listen closely. If you are listening this Christmas season, you'll see through the, the poor and lowly scene of Jesus' birth to the life lived perfectly for you. If you are listening this Christmas season, you'll see through the man riding on a donkey surrounded by peasants going step by step to utter death, to the debt of sin that was paid off by him doing it. If you are listening this Christmas season, you'll see through all the commercialism and pageantry and empty promises of world peace to what is really substantial. And your time and your hearts and your voices will cry out in praise for the Lord even louder than those on the roads to Jerusalem that day. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.